Hello, everybody. It is your girl, April Talee, author of the new book, Identity Crisis. Um, thank you so much for joining me again. Um, for those who are new to the podcast, um, as I um, stated before in previous podcasts, I am um, using this platform to, um, one, introduce um, some of the chapters of the book to um those who are listening, I know that I have the book available in a ebook and a physical um, paperback form um, on Amazon as well as um, on my website at www.aprilteleesites.com. Um, but I don't have the audio version or audio book version available yet and thought that one, I really truly believe that this book is a blessing to um, not only the body of Christ, but to those who may be struggling with um, feelings of worthlessness, of shame, um, feelings of fear and anxiety, and that um, really want to know what is it that God created them for. And so um, if there's anything that I can do to one, um, to allow for you to be able to hear what God is saying through the book, as well as be able to um, spark some of the interest in getting the book, um, then this platform to me is well worth it. And so um, I encourage you to listen um, into the, for the entire podcast today. Um, I'm going to skip forward in the book a few chapters on the last episode. I did the preface, but I'm going to skip to chapter eight of the book, which is called um, God Identity. So for those who actually have the book, you're welcome to follow along. Um, but if you're like me, when you listen to audio books and you just want to hit play so you can listen and wash your dishes, fold clothes or enjoy the book while you're driving or working out, then I, that's, you know, this is the reason why I'm doing this. Um, I'm interested in your feedback, you know, like, let me know if, you know, having this audio book version is something that you feel uh, that I really need to do because it's blessing you. I don't plan on putting the entire book on the podcast, but, um, you know, I will have a few chapters. Um, and so um, I just wanted to let you guys know that I am grateful to you who are listening. I uh, know that God has a great word for you. And so um, just continue to rock with me and um Give me your comments. I'm interested in your feedback about the book so far. And so um, also for those who are listening, I will be doing a book signing. I'm doing a book signing uh, June 27th on Saturday. I will be at San Marco Bookstore in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, you can come out between 12 and 2. Um I'll have some other merchandise as well, some T-shirts and some wristbands and things like that. And I can also sign your book. So please, please come out and join. I'm so grateful to all of you. And um, and so let's continue to kick butt out here and kick the enemy's butt. He has no place in our lives. And, you know, God has great things for each and every one of you who are listening. And we just need to be able to tap into that and get rid of the distractions and and understand God's purpose and identity in us. And so um, let's listen to chapter eight. And so I thank you again.
and stay. And again, if you have comments, please feel free to comment at any moment and leave those in the message. Chapter eight, God identity. God is love. First John four and 16. Have you ever misjudged someone by making a generalization about who they are, whether positive or negative, only to learn later that they were the complete opposite of what you thought? Perhaps you place parameters on that person's worth or ability with the lowest of expectations upon them. You could even place too high of an expectation on that person or put them into a category of being untouchable. Perhaps you later come to the realization that there was much more to them after you spent some time getting to know them. Through increased interactions, you may realize that you share similar interests and genuinely enjoy their company when they are around. This person brings excitement and joy into your world with their presence. And you may even determine that this person adds value to your life. In fact, now you cannot imagine an existence without them. Maybe you marry one of these people or establish a viable business relationship with them. However, I would like to give you some food for thought. What if you made the mistake of never getting to know them and remained comfortable with a shallow perception of who they really are from a distance. You would miss the opportunity of sharing significant time with this individual and embarking upon a beautiful journey of life or business together. For some of you, that thought might be scary since you have built meaningful relationships with these people Unfortunately, there are many people who have not the slightest clue or the breadth and beauty of God and his character. This misconception of who God is results in unrealistic expectations of him, mistruths about what he does or does not do for us, and sadly sets the groundwork for an underdeveloped relationship with the creator. Many people may assert that there is a God or even believe in the supernatural realm, but never really explore the depth of that belief. I often heard skeptics refer to God as the something out there or the universe. Christians are not exempt from holding misconceptions about God either. I have heard many ministers and Christians speak of the man upstairs authoring life's misfortune and heartache to teach people lessons. I can't count the amount of times I have witnessed people talk about God orchestrating accidents, sickness, or financial woes to get their attention or that one of their loved ones. The truth is, many people have a difficult time accepting this fundamental truth. That God is good and wants the best for all of us, mankind, period. With all the good that we may experience in this life, there are also many challenges that we face, such as disease, the death of loved ones, hunger, rape, poverty, crime, incarceration, etc. 
Unfortunately, none of us are exempt from negative situations occurring in this life, which may result in great pain and lasting scars. For many negative life circumstances make it difficult to believe in our in or love a God we cannot see. This is especially true when you count God as one of the one responsible for allowing bad things to happen in the world. Some people operate in a hopeless existence where there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. Subsequently, they often develop feelings of shame, doubt, hopelessness, and fear. As believers, we should not wallow in our feelings of hopelessness about the world since we have been reassured Hope through the promises of God. He promises to be our strength in the time of trouble. Psalms 46 and 1. In fact, I would like to offer good news for those who have wasted countless years of their life blaming God for unforeseen mishaps and unpleasant circumstances occurring. God is not responsible for the terrible things that happen in this world. Most importantly, he hates to see his creation suffer more than you could ever imagine. I am sure that statement alone will even rock many Christians' theologies. One of God's greatest desires is for his most adored creations to choose him, build a relationship with him, and allow him to teach you who you really are. Like I mentioned before, from the very first book of the Bible in Genesis with Adam to Abraham, then David to Solomon to Joseph and right down to Jesus, God reveals tales of men's and women's feats occurring because of their connection to him. Mankind's progress does not cease to exist or propel forward because they do not choose to follow him. But you can be certain it is more than likely not God's best for them. So if God isn't responsible for the bad that happens in the world, then who is? Great question. And I'm glad you asked. In order to wrap your brain around bad things that occur in this life or even the people who do terrible acts, you must have a basic understanding of spiritual matters. Just as there are good spiritual forces present in the world, there are also evil forces dwelling here as well. As I stated earlier, the Bible delineates how we are not alone in this world and that we have opposing forces we battle all the time. Again, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weaknesses in high places. Ephesians 6 and 12, King James Version. These dark forces or, or spirits work in concert to create hellacious scenarios in our lives to distract and deter us from obtaining peace, joy, and prosperity in every area of our lives. These forces have been here since the beginning in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3 and 1. Furthermore, these forces aim to redirect our attention away from God and obtaining eternal salvation. This may seem spooky to some of you, but whether you think about it or not, 
Spiritual beings surround us every day, including the Holy Spirit of God. It always baffles me how some assert their disbelief in something or someone they cannot see, but there is plenty that they don't see but know is there. Like I mentioned in an earlier chapter, every day you awake and in hell, you should be reminded of how without the element of oxygen, which you do not see, smell or taste, you would cease to exist. What about germs and microorganisms that we encounter on a daily basis? That if we are not careful, have the potential to cause illness and disease. We do our best to manage these unseen biological factors through good hand hygiene and containment. Just like the air we breathe, the unseen spirit of God continues to hover and represent everything good in the world. If you are in need of a quick refresher, just open your Bible to Genesis 1, 1 through 25. One should consider why it is so hard for some to believe in the supernatural. Unfortunately, in every good story you have ever read, heard, or seen, there is always a villain or an adversary that presents challenges to the main character. The story of God, the creator of the universe, also has an arch rival. His name is Lucifer. Lucifer was renamed Satan, which in the Greek means adversary. He is also referred to as the devil. When broken down, it means he is the manufacturer of pride, jealousy, hatred, and fear, which are spirits that work in complete opposition to the spirit of God. God's spirit on the opposite end of the spectrum of fear is characterized as love, humility, kindness, gentleness, and faith. At some point, Lucifer lived in heaven with God, but due to his pride, vanity, selfishness, and desire to be revered as high as God, he was kicked out. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. In Revelation 12 and 9 recounts the fall of Satan as this. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, And Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. When you read further in verse 12, you see where the earth is put on notice that Satan has come down to earth. He is angry, jealous of your dominion and authority, and he knows he has limited time to cause havoc and chaos. It was not until after he tricked Eve and Adam in the garden that the enemy gained temporary dominion on earth by tricking mankind into thinking that we cannot trust what God says, his word, and that our physical existence, open eyes, is what truly matters. And Genesis 3, 1 through 4 describes initial deception like this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat 
the fruit of the, the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When mankind's eyes open, essentially, it translates into having a heightened awareness of humanity, a decreased sense of spirituality, and the ability to reason differently from God. Until that point, Adam and Eve believed everything God said and were dependent on him for every source of inspiration and provision. Ultimately, Eve and subsequently Adam experienced a paradigm shift that established a division between mankind and God. This paradigm or different way of thinking is sometimes referred to as the fall of man. The closeness and fellowship that occurred daily in the midst of the Garden of Eden was now greeted with a self-reliance, shame, and fear. We now have the ability to think, create, and willfully choose which makes it easier to consider ourselves as God's equal, therefore diminishing the need to believe and follow his instructions any longer. Unfortunately, without God's infinite wisdom, we are like children needing guidance and direction in a huge world that we do not fully understand. The unknown can be extremely frightening and crippling if you do not have a, uh, a light for guidance. With this awakening, knowledge of good and evil, excuse me, with this awakening, knowledge of good and evil, the enemy is more easily able to use our natural senses to lure us to follow after his earthly kingdom. He is the father of lies and is creative in his tactics, using our perception to forfeit our spiritual rights. Truthfully, the world is beautiful and is full of temptations such as gorgeous men and women, the pursuit of cars, houses, superstars, vacations, and money, which may distract us from godly principles. God actually gives us a warning about loving the things of the world in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Often the pursuit of worldly things leads us down a path of self-indulgence, and we then improperly begin to exalt the creation instead of the creator. Our money, belongings, secular knowledge, and the people we deem celebrity become miniature gods or deities. This is much more easily done than you think. Money has to be one of the most renowned gods mankind looks to for provision. Like our spiritual God offers natural provision, money provides a tangible source of having our basic needs met. Therefore, many will fall into the snare of trusting money over God's lead. You position money as the ruler if you make the daily life decisions based on what your bank account says before you consider what God says. 
just that fast, you have made your trust in your bank account a deity. God warns us the love of money and says that it is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Growing up outside of Chicago, I have seen good people get caught up in some very bad things to get money or make a living. Don't get me wrong. Having money is not a bad thing, but the love of money can be destructive when you place yourself and others in harm's way to get it. God indeed wants his children to be prosperous and promises that he will not see his seed begging for bread when we are obedient to his word. Obedience to God is securely linked to his blessings and an abundance of spiritual and financial blessings. Following God's directives will always lead us down a path of provision. It is important that we trust him no matter what and not become discouraged when there is a delay. So many times I remember becoming impatient and scrambling with my own reasoning and seeking for answers outside of the will of God. Each time I've done this, my plans fail and I circle around back to where I began. Unfortunately, delays reveal the level of trust we have in God's ability to provide for us. We serve a jealous God and he desires we seek him first to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4 and 19. Aside from God being jealous, he knows that the creation is is incapable of providing the unconditional love and provision that he does in Exodus 34 and 14. The enemy relishes when men doubts what God says and defaults to his own belief system to accomplish self-directed goals in this life. He understands that questioning God subsequently places us outside of the will of God and worshiping things of this world. We are enslaved to the enemy's ruling when we allow ourselves to be deceived into seeking to engage in activities that make us feel or look good. It may seem harmless to engage in self-gratifying activities, but an ungoverned soul seeking to please itself is contrary to the spirit of God. God is love, agape love to be exact. Agape comes from the Greek word agapio, which is the highest form of love. This type of love does not consider its own self, but the welfare and charity of others. This type of love is unconditional and does not place worth on its subject, but is concerned with giving love, regardless of whether it's reciprocated. Agape love considers itself last and is more concerned with the welfare and state of others. Agape love is not an emotion, but it is best observed in action. God regards love very highly in the word, and he gives his people a mandate to love one another. I mean, it is the very essence of who he is and who we are as his children. 1 John 3 and 1. Moses bestowed the people of God or Israelites with the Ten Commandments, which was downloaded directly directly from God. The very first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second is, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. God was making it clear that the affection of mankind was to be directed toward him, not the wealth or demigods of Egypt. 
the other eight commandments provide relational instructions for morality amongst the Israelites. For example, the Ten Commandments, also referred to as the law, was provided under the Old Covenant, which was given to the people of Israel to assist in governing them as believers in the in God of their ancestors. Under the New Covenant, Jesus provided a similar command when the Pharisees questioned which law was the greatest to God. Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all of our souls. He also says to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It is important to differentiate agape love from romantic love, eros, and the intimate feeling of love towards a friend, filio, or someone outside of a sexual relationship. Agape is agape love is not an emotion or based on how we feel. Unfortunately, human emotions are fickle and unreliable and should never be in the driver's seat of our love walk. When emotions are in charge of directing our behaviors versus following after the spirit of God, which is which is love, we may do and say things that lack sound judgment and we may later regret. Simply put, when you react on impulses to things people do or say, and or are driven by your feelings, good or bad, you are allowing your flesh to rule and place yourself in position to be deceived by God's adversary, Satan. This is one of the fundamental truths revealed in the word of God. First John 2 and 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If someone or anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. As I stated earlier, God is love. He is real love, as the singer Mary J. Blige put it. The love of physical possessions and things of this world are pseudo form of love called lust. Lust is defined as a strong feeling or sexual desire or an overestimating or overmastering craving or passion for something that has no lasting effect. Our God is everlasting and reigns forever and ever. Our belongings and creations are temporal. So putting faith in our money, relationships with people, status, perceived power is fruitless since they are passing away. As the scripture states, since the fall of man, the enemy covertly lurks on the earth for he is the prince of the power of the air and is actively seeking to deceive people in every manner he can think of, such as sex, selfish ambition, drugs and alcohol, fame, vanity, pleasure, and so forth. The enemy uses things of this world to bait us with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. God wants us to know the truth about our existence and come into greater understanding of our true identity in him as spiritual beings. We are more effective in resisting the enemy's deceit when we are aware of the mode of attack as spiritual warfare. 
we stop blaming natural things and people and situations for the challenges we face and begin to identify the enemy's tactics. When you know who you are, the power you possess, and the place of victory you fight from, then your enemy has to develop a cleverer strategy or flee altogether. Satan operates in the heavenly realm on earth, which essentially is in the air. The heavenly realm in the Greek is known as uperenos, which means the sphere of spiritual activities. Euphorenos is where both angels and demons dwell and are influencing the things in the natural realm, physical activities. Interestingly, the devil had spent much of his time in heaven accusing the brethren and was envious of God's creation, period. And so there's a few more um, pages left of this chapter. Again, um, for those who are listening for the very first time, um, I've skipped ahead a few chapters to chapter eight um, and that um you have the opportunity of reading the book on your own if um, you find that this some of this information is a blessing to you. Um, you can look to my website at www.aprilteleadsites.com or you can just simply go to Amazon. It is on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, you get free shipping. You know how that goes. And so um, I thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for listening again. Um, if you found um, some of this chapter helpful um, or just I'm interested in your thoughts about um, God's identity and what you may have perceived God's identity identity um, to be before and how that has um, shifted or um, or stayed the same. So I'm just interested in your thoughts. Please, you know, like and share um, this podcast Um with your friends and your family. I love you all. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Um, And we'll have some more of the book available next week. So have a good one. Talk to you soon.